5 tonight, we do have a group study opportunity for those of you that are looking for a group study opportunity, and uh, that's going to take place in the Lord Led Ladies classroom. Last week we had 20 that joined us. I'd love to see that number grow. So if you're not doing anything tonight or any Sunday night and you want to be in a group studying the story, please come on out 545. Next week, one service Sunday, 930 a.m. We've shared it already. Uh, do not forget about the time, one hour, and at 1045 next Sunday, we will also um, have a story study group take place in the Fellowship Hall. Let's review the story through two weeks. Chapter 1, Paradise Lost, Creation, the Fall, Cain and Abel and Noah, and the big idea was the stain of sin, the sting of sin destroyed God's perfect utopia. Last week we looked at chapter 2 of the story. It was the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the big idea was that Abraham was willing to trust and obey even when logic would say otherwise. Even when maybe his, his greatest thought process as a human said otherwise. And, and so he was willing to trust and obey. We are called to trust and obey. This week, Joseph chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 37 through 50. I got a question for you. How do you spell Joseph? Think about that for a moment. How do you spell Joseph? Well, many of you would say you spell Joseph J-O-S-E-P-H, right? Is that correct? Yeah? Okay, I went to Champaign schools. I got that down. Actually... If you really want to remember the story of Joseph from chapter 37 to chapter 50, there's a different way that I want you to spell Joseph. There's a different uh, acronym, shall we say, that will help you understand the story of Joseph. You spell Joseph P-P-P-P-I. Joseph is the story of P-P-P-P-I. You may be saying, what you talking about, Willis? I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Joseph, the story of four P's and an I. P number one, let's dive in. The story of Joseph, life in the pit. The story of Joseph begins with life in the pit. In chapter 37, and this isn't actually in the story, but in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, we see some information about Joseph that helps us understand who he is and why he's relevant. Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. In fact, he's number 11 of 12. And even though he is one of the youngest, he is a very significant child in the life of Jacob. Um, he was a tattletale of sorts. He was never afraid to, to go to his dad and tell on his older brothers. And they kind of resented him. He also was always willing to use his God-given giftedness. He had the ability to hear dreams and to interpret dreams. And early on in his life, we read in our account in chapter 3 of the story in Genesis chapter 37, that on two different occasions, he has dreams. And as he interprets the dreams, here's the bottom line. He says to his brothers, he says to his mother and his father, you are going to bow down and worship me. And I am going to reign over you. I am going to rule over you. How do you think that played out? in the life of the family of Jacob. Son number 11 has announced that not only is he a tattletale, not only is, his is he the father's favorite, 
But his older brothers are going to bow down and worship him. Some of you that come from families with multiple siblings, how would the older children feel about an announcement like that from the youngest or one of the youngest? It wouldn't go over well. Bottom line, we see some family dysfunction. And we really shouldn't be surprised. I mean, much of Jacob's life was dysfunctional. From the, the undermining that his mother was a part of to his sibling rivalry with his brother Esau. And yet here we see a recipe for disaster. Joseph was his father's favorite and his father announced that by giving him a richly ornamented coat. Now I learned in Sunday school that it was what? A coat of many colors. But my guess is when Reuben or Simeon or Judah or one of the older sons saw that very fancy coat on little Joseph, they began to hate. And the hate began to grow. And the hate began to fester. And one day they find themselves with an opportunity to act upon their hatred. See, Jacob sends Joseph off to visit his sons. They're out in the field, and they see him coming, and they decide now is the time for us to act. Now is the time where we can get even. Now is the time where we can draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough. And so they see him coming, and they greet him, not with hugs, not with words of encouragement, but with their fist. And in anger, they beat him. And they want to kill him. Reuben's able to talk him out of that. But they throw him in a pit. And they eventually sell him into slavery. A caravan of Ishmaelites come along. And what I want you to see this morning is that when faced with the opportunity, Joseph's brothers, they choose evil to satisfy the frustrations that they have, the hurt that they have. When you're upset, when you're angry, when someone's wronged you, when someone's treated you poorly and you have the opportunity to seize, you have the opportunity to get even, what do you do? What's your choice? We've all been wronged. We've all been in a situation where we feel like we were treated poorly. Joseph's brothers, they make the most of the opportunity and they choose evil to take care of their pain. But what about, what about Joseph? We'll get back to him in just a moment. The brothers realize that they've got to devise some sort of a scheme. They can't keep this to themselves. So they take this coat of many colors that Jacob loved so much that he gave to his son Joseph. And they tear it, and they kill an animal, they kill a goat, and they smear the blood all over the, the place, and they go to their father. It's a big ruse. And they say, Father, you're not going to believe what we found. Joseph's coat, his precious coat, the coat you gave him in love, look what we found in the wilderness. And the heartbreak of a father is obvious as we read these words. It says, Jacob tore his clothes he put on sackcloth and he mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. What a joke that is, by the way. The sons who are part of the ruse come to comfort him. But Jacob refused 
to be comforted. Jacob's heartbroken. As far as he knows, his favorite son is dead. But what about Joseph? You know what we don't read about in this account? We don't read about Joseph losing his faith. We don't read about Joseph saying, woe is me. We don't read in this account Joseph saying, this is not fair, even though this is not fair. See, a big takeaway is that the pit did not change Joseph. Even though he had a wonderful life, even though he had a blessed life, the pit did not change Joseph. And it reminds me of this. When bad things come our way, we've got a choice. We can say, woe is me. We can say life's not fair. We can say, God, where are you? Or we can stay faithful and true. Joseph stays faithful and true. P number one, life in the pit. P number two, the story of Joseph, life with Potiphar. Joseph is sold into slavery and he lands in the household of an Egyptian ruler by the name of Potiphar. A pretty significant ruler. He's not the Pharaoh, that's down the road, but he is a ruler of significance. This is a person of prestige. And the cool thing about Joseph, he remains faithful to the Lord and the Lord is with him. We read early in chapter 39, if you're in your Bible, these uh, comments, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. The Lord gave Joseph success. From the pit We see Joseph land on his feet, even though he's a slave, and he is beginning to thrive. In Genesis 39, we also read that Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so, Joseph is prospering in the midst of a less than ideal situation. He's not taking the woe is me approach, even though you might or I might. He's saying, God has me here for a reason, and God is blessing his socks off. But my guess is you don't remember Genesis chapter 39 because of Joseph prospering in the household of Potiphar. My guess is you know Genesis chapter 39 because of what happens next. The next comment that we read is that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Who do you think of when you think of someone that is well-built and and handsome? Maybe you think of a, a professional athlete, body is just chiseled. Maybe you think of a movie star, Tom Cruise or George Clooney or Brad Pitt. Maybe you think of one of our staff members here at FCC like Cody Monkman or Kent Hickerson or someone along those lines. Whatever picture you have in your mind, Joseph had it going. The women might say he was eye candy. I mean, they really thought he was something. And Mrs. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, was really digging Joseph. And she was very aggressive, and she was forward, and she said, come sleep with me. And just let you know, she's not wanting to take a nap. That's not what she means here. She wants Joseph. He says, I can't do it. 
I can't be a part of such an evil thing. I can't sin against God. He says, I can't sin against God. And he resists. But one day, there's no more opportunity to resist. Mrs. Potiphar grabs a hold of him and says, come to bed with me now. And Joseph runs. He runs so quickly that he leaves the house in his underwear. She had his outer garment in his hands. Joseph fled temptation. He took off. He got out of Dodge in a hurry. And and let me say, that's the right move. He did the right thing. When temptation visits you, you should flee. If your temptation is the computer, you need to know when to turn it off. If your temptation is the coffee shop gossip, you know when it's time to leave. If your temptation is a relationship and you know it's going somewhere that it shouldn't go, you need to be like Joseph and just avoid that person. Just stay away. Joseph fled temptation. But unfortunately, even though he did the right thing, he pays a price anyway. Mrs. Potiphar, man, she is scorned. She is unhappy. And so she calls her husband in and she says, you're not going to believe what that Hebrew slave did to me. He came on to me. He made advances to me. In fact, look, here's his outer garment. You can probably see him running down the neighborhood in his underwear right now. He's the bad guy. And can you believe that Potiphar believed his wife? But, But he did. And before long, Mr. Integrity... Mr. Do-the-right-thing, Mr. Flea-temptation Joseph finds himself in prison. Potiphar's not messing around. He puts him in prison. And and at this point in the account, we're, we're reading this and we're saying, I don't like this story. Joseph is the good guy. Joseph's doing the right thing. Joseph is choosing right And he's been beat up, he's been sold into slavery, and now he's been tossed into prison. This reminds me that friends, hear hear me when I say this, sometimes as people of faith, sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, bad things come our way. And it's not right. It doesn't make sense. We, We say, God, what are you doing? And because we live on the other side of history, we know this is all part of God's master plan. But when you're in the midst of it, when you find yourself going from the pit to slavery, now to prison, saying, God, what gives? God, life's not fair. God, I don't like this very much. But guess who's not saying that? Joseph. Joseph's going with the flow. Joseph knows whether he's on the mountaintop or he's in the valley, God is with him and God will bless him. Can I say if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, God is with you and God will bless you. Now don't hear God will bless you as you're going to be driving a Mercedes in a month. Or you're going to have a house three times the size that you have now. 
or you're going to have money that you can just throw away because the financial blessing is coming your way. That might happen, and it might not happen. But we've got the wrong idea of what blessing is. Blessing is so much more. Blessing is so much greater than a house or a car or material possessions. And the Lord is blessing Joseph even when he's in the valley, even when he's in the pit, even when he's in prison. And that brings us to P number three. We've had life in the pit. We've had life with Potiphar. P number three, it's on the screen. Life in prison. Look at the, one of the very last verses of chapter 39. It says, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The Lord, is, he's pulling the strings. The Lord's basically saying, hey, prison warden, check this guy out. He's someone special. Even in prison, Joseph is able to thrive. Chapter 40 of Genesis, we see the story of Joseph interpreting dreams once again. And there's two guys that work for the Pharaoh. And you probably know this, but the Pharaoh, he's the big dog in Egypt, but he's really the big dog in the whole world because Egypt was the superpower during the day. So the Pharaoh is the most important man in the world, and he's got a chief cupbearer, and he's got a chief baker, and he doesn't like the chief cupbearer at the time, and he doesn't like the chief baker at the time, so he throws them both in prison, and they end up hanging out with our Joseph. And while they're there in the prison, they both have dreams, and they can't figure out their dreams. And so they go to Joseph, and they say, we're having these dreams, and we can't figure it out. And Joseph says, well, tell me your dream. Maybe the Lord will reveal it to me. And sure enough, the Lord has good news for the chief cupbearer. Hang in there, my friend. You're getting ready not only to be released from prison, but you're going to have a promotion. You're going to really be a big dog in the administration. But he says to the chief baker, you're not going to want to hear this, but your days are numbered. Set your house in order. You're, you're getting ready to be executed. You're getting ready to die. And sure enough, just a short time later, Pharaoh says, bring out the chief cupbearer. I, I need him again. And oh, by the way, hang the chief baker. That, that sourdough bread I had a couple weeks ago, it's just not cutting it. Now, if you're the chief cupbearer, what, what are you going to do with this information that Joseph has shared with you? I'm going to blab it to anyone and everyone who will listen. I'm certainly going to let the Pharaoh know there's someone in prison that you need to have a connection with. You need to tap into. You need to be able to use. But chapter 40 ends with us learning that the chief cupbearer forgot about Joseph. And two years passed. If you shouldn't be in prison in the first place, and you certainly should be able to get out of prison now because you were able to interpret his dream. And you stayed in prison for two years because someone forgot about you? How would you feel? Would you be singing that happy, happy, happy song? Probably not. You'd be ticked. Joseph kind of goes with the flow. I'm here for a reason. God has a plan. The Lord's blessing him. And two years later, now it's Pharaoh that's having dreams he can't figure out. Pharaoh brings people from all across the world to help him try to interpret his dreams. 
and it ain't happening. They can't figure out what his dreams mean. And at that point, the chief cupbearer says, oh, hey, guess what? I met this guy in prison. I think his name was Joseph. I bet he will be able to interpret your dreams. So Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, brings Joseph and looks him face to face and says, can you interpret my dreams? And I love what Joseph says. Joseph says, no, I can't do it. But guess what? The Lord can. Tell me your dream and we'll find out what they mean. And here's what the dreams mean. He says, Pharaoh, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is that because of uh, what is about to happen, you have an opportunity like no other opportunity. The next seven years of farming are going to be two thumbs up all the way. I'm talking abundance. I'm talking crops that are overflowing. I'm talking the best seven years you could possibly imagine. Farmers with us today, how would you feel about a prophecy like that? You'd be okay with that, wouldn't you? Seven years of abundance, you'd be digging that. But Joseph says that that's just part one of the dream. The second part you need to understand is that on the heels of the seven years of abundance, you're going to have seven years of famine, seven years of drought, seven years where you're not going to grow anything. So if I were you, I would put a plan in place. And Pharaoh says, I think, Joseph, you might be the perfect person to put that plan into place. And so the prison narrative reminds me that we should never put our trust in other people. But we should always put our trust in the Lord. If Joseph would have put his trust in his brothers, he'd have been devastated when they beat the tar out of him. And threw him in the pit, the cistern. If Joseph would have put his trust in Potiphar, the Egyptian official, he'd have been devastated when he realized that because of a lie, he was going to prison. If Joseph would have put his trust in the chief cupbearer, he would have been devastated because for two years he stayed in prison when he could have been freed. But Joseph put his trust in the Lord. Can I ask you this morning, where, where do you put your trust? The Sunday school answer, the, the, the right answer for Sunday morning is, well, of course I put my trust in the Lord. Of course. Do, do we really put our trust in the Lord? Do we really practice what we preach and proclaim? Or, or do we worry? Do we fret? Do you say, woe is me? I've had the opportunity the last couple weeks to spend time with a couple of individuals who do not have very good forecasts in terms of their health, diseases that they're battling, and their, their long-term outlook on life. And that's discouraging. That's not where they want to be. That's not where many of us want them to be. But I have been so thankful for the faith that they have shared with me, the confidence that they have that whatever happens... It's okay. If I live a month and I die, it's okay. If I live a year and I die, it's okay. If I live a decade and I die, it's okay. Because God is in control. And Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. That's putting your trust in the Lord, not in people.
The second takeaway here is that Joseph's God-given giftedness eventually helps him overcome all of these frustrations. And so sometimes the message for us is we just need to wait. So many of us live in the day in the culture and parents, you've probably said this to your kids before, come on, hurry up, let's go, let's go, we're going to be late, hurry up, let's go. Sometimes we just got to slow down and trust God. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that he is in control. See, Joseph goes from prison to second in command in all of Egypt. He's the vice pharaoh of Egypt. He's second in command. It's crazy. It's ludicrous. Hollywood should make a major motion picture about the story of Joseph. And I know someone came up and said, what about the play, the Technicolor Dreamcoat? I'm talking about a big-time movie. I'm talking about a million, $100 million budget. This is an incredible story. The rise that Joseph experiences. And that brings us to P number four, life in the palace. Listen to this testimony from the Pharaoh to Joseph. He says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. How ironic is it that the 17-year-old that was stripped of his coat of many colors that he loved so much is now wearing the Pharaoh's fine linens. And he put a gold chain around Joseph's neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, make way. How cool would that, to be driving on the square in Clinton and have people saying, make way, Greg Taylor is coming. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's his life all the time. Thus Pharaoh put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And the thing about this that I want you to see is that Joseph finally makes the most of the opportunity that the Lord provides for him. He makes the most of the opportunity. And he puts Egypt in a position to be unlike any other country, any other people in the midst of this terrible famine that is coming. They save away so much grain each year so that when the famine finally hits, they're going to be sitting pretty and everybody else around them is going to be in need. And oh, by the way, people are going to want to come to Egypt. And they're going to want to buy grain. And they're going to pay a premium, premium price. Joseph makes the most of the opportunity. Friend, if you have an opportunity to be used by God, make the most of the opportunity. Joseph does not look back. But I think my favorite part of the story is what happens next. Following the seven years of abundance, the famine kicks in. And for two years, it is awful. And people are dying. And Jacob gathers his sons that are left. And he says, boys, we're in tough times right now. But I hear there's grain in Egypt. Do you see the beauty in it developing? So go to Egypt and buy some grain. And so the sons take off, and sure enough, there is grain in Egypt, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. It's been a long time since they beat him up and threw him in that pit. And so Joseph has the perfect opportunity to get even, the perfect opportunity to give them what is coming to them. They beat him up. They threw him in a pit. They lied to his father. They treated him 
horribly. And finally, after a series of circumstances, Joseph finds himself face to face with his brothers. And I want to read for you what he had to say. What I would have had to say, I couldn't read in church. But here's what Joseph had to say to them. He said, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, faced with the opportunity, Joseph did not choose evil, even though his brothers did. But instead, Joseph chose forgiveness and love. It's hard to forgive, isn't it? When you've been wronged and you have an opportunity to make it right, it's hard to choose forgiveness and love. But that's exactly what Joseph did. You intended to harm me, but God intended it. Good. The next time you find yourself in a situation to pounce, the next time you find yourself in the situation to seek your revenge, to gain your revenge, even just to speak your mind to someone that has harmed you, I challenge you to think of Joseph. I challenge you to read Genesis chapter 45 and to consider forgiveness and love. And that leads us to the final part of our story. We've got life in the pit and life with Potiphar, and we've got life in uh, prison. We've got life in the palace. What's the I? A life lived with integrity. Joseph lived his life with integrity. At the very end of his life, his father Jacob dies. And at the end of Jacob's life, he brings all of his sons in together, and he blesses each one of them. He's on his deathbed, and he gives each one of them a blessing. And at the end of that time, he breathes his last and he dies. And it's at that point that Joseph could get even. His father's gone. And he could get even with Reuben and Simeon and Judah and his brothers. But one more time, he reminds us that integrity is what matters most to him. He says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is a great, excuse me, a great illustration of the positive difference an integrity-driven individual can make in the world. And so what do we take from the life of Joseph? Two things I want to leave you with this morning. Number one is this. Understand Joseph was a man of integrity. Joseph was a man of influence. Whether life was tough or whether life was terrific. When life was great, he was a man of integrity. When life was tough, he was a man of integrity. And catch this. Sometimes it's easier to be a person of integrity when life is tough than when life is terrific. Sometimes when we're on the mountaintop. Sometimes when everything's just grand, it's tough to choose integrity. Joseph's the same through good, bad, thick, thin, up, down. He's a person of integrity. But secondly, he didn't give in to the temptation for revenge. And he chose forgiveness. He was not afraid to choose forgiveness. And that's a true kingdom perspective. 
didn't give in to the temptation for revenge, but chose forgiveness. So what's the bottom line? What do I want you to take away from today? Simply this, Joseph lived a life of integrity, and God blessed him incredibly, no matter the situation. Some of you today, you connect really well with Joseph and life in the pit, because you feel like your life right now is a pit. It's not what you signed up for. It's not what you want. It's not the road that you would choose. Can I challenge you to be a woman of integrity, a man of integrity, a teenager of integrity, and to trust God? Some of you, life's better than you ever thought it would be. You never dreamed you would be as blessed as you are today. Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person who trusts the Lord? And gives the Lord the glory for the blessings he's poured down upon you. Joseph was the same. No matter what. No matter what living. That's what we are called to. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And for the life of Joseph, one of a kind in so many ways. Thank you for the blessings you give us. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is commitment time as it is every week.